basically we're getting so many customer complaints, they weren't paying us for all commission, we weren't getting the deals coming in, and we clearly employed the wrong people to actually go and do it, and we didn't understand the market. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, well, he is the only CEO with a mohawk, Chris J. Reed. Chris, are you ready to rock? I'm indeed, Andrew. Yeah, and uh, your mohawk is in fact pink. <laughs> love it. It is indeed, Andrew. <laughs> I love it. You know, I just want to read your bio, but before I read your bio, I just want to, you know, I want the audience out there to visualize this guy with a pink mohawk and he's a CEO. And I want you to think about one thing throughout this whole episode and that is the word unique. What is your unique defining feature? And the thing about that word unique is it means nobody else has it. So if you say I'm unique because I have a CFA, nope, other people have it. What is it that truly makes you unique. So let me read your bio and introduce you to the audience. Chris loves to share his uncensored, polarizing, and authentic thoughts on a variety of business topics on LinkedIn and for Forbes, where he is an official Forbes Business Council member. He is a quadruple international best-selling author on the subjects of LinkedIn, personal branding, and social selling. And he is infamously known as the only CEO with a mohawk, recognized globally by his notorious pink mohawk. So, Chris, take a moment and fill in any further tidbits about your life. So, yes, I am the only CEO of the mohawk, and with our service at Black Marketing, which I created eight years ago in lovely Singapore, we ask you what your mohawk is, and then we exploit it on LinkedIn. So this podcast is very much your USP, your mohawk. Every single person out there listening has a mohawk. Um, just think about it, and then use it to basically create awareness, and great engagement to have that icebreaker moment on LinkedIn, even that elevator pitch. You know, when people say, what do I do? I'm saying, yeah, I'm the only CEO of the Mohawk, can I make you a LinkedIn rock star? And then people go, huh, what's that about? And they're interested. That's what you gotta have. You gotta have some kind of elevator pitch on LinkedIn, just like in real life. I mean, I, I love that. You know, one of the lessons that I've learned, and I've, you know, I listened to you on another podcast, and then I spend a lot of time looking at your LinkedIn, and I highly recommend that you go to, you know, for the listeners out there, go to LinkedIn, type in Mohawk. Go there. <laughs> works. But, yeah, it works. But I think one of the things that I kind of came to the conclusion about that wasn't initially obvious is that, you know, your unique defining feature does not have to be exactly your business. Correct. What it has to be is something memorable. And, and I like to say when somebody is referring to you, to another person, they'll say, that's the guy, da, da, da. So a lot of people yeah. say, Andrew is the guy who takes care of his 82-year-old mother. She moved to Bangkok, right? So, you know, that's something that people can remember as an example. But yeah. I think that maybe you could just mention that, that it, it doesn't, I think a lot of people probably come to you and maybe it would be good for you to just share kind of what you do for people and how, what are some of the tips that you would have for our audience and how would they know, you know, if they could use your service? Because I know a lot of people could use your service. 
Oh, spot on. Oh, yeah, I get a lot of people who take it literally, who think, oh, you mean I've got to put a mohawk onto LinkedIn? It's like, no, no, don't have a mohawk on LinkedIn. Several reasons. Then I won't be the only CEO with a mohawk. Everybody else had a mohawk as well. The whole idea is it's personal. Personal to you. So it's like it's what your icebreaker is. And that's what we do on LinkedIn. We start with your personal branding. Because as everyone knows who listens to this, people buy people. So let's start there. Let's not do sales until you've done your personal branding. Not do sales until you've done some content marketing. Let's get your personal branding right first. And that's where we start, Andrew. We start with a profile. Mm. You're amazed with the shocking profiles out there. You can't see the picture. You can't see the background picture. The headline's confusing. There's no about section. There's no features section. No description about what someone does. And you think, hang on a minute. All you have to do is put in here exactly what you do, which you say on a daily basis. Why don't you do that? Why haven't you got a link to your website, your YouTube channel? Yeah, you know, put some content on there, create some content. Everyone here listening to this is intelligent, they're thinking about their business, they're entrepreneurial, they're creative. They all have content. They all go down to the pub and tell their mates about something. Well, that's content. As long as it's a business context or a business point, put it on LinkedIn. You'd be amazed the amount of engagement you will get. And then you can do some social selling. By social selling, we mean literally using social media, as in LinkedIn, to find someone who's interested in your service, i.e. they're active, they're interested, they said they're interested, they're, they're engaging with your content, they're, and they're actually interacting with your content, they're reading about you, they're looking at your profile, they're reading your, reading your, your blogs, your posts, and they're watching your videos, and then basically having an exchange of emails or ideas on LinkedIn, and you say, let's have a conversation. And then it's down to you and your service. Do they need it? Can they afford it? Is it beneficial for them? And then it, that's up to you. It's up to you to basically close that deal. And that's all social selling is. It's merely having a conversation like you would do down the pub on LinkedIn by exchanging credentials and personality and personal branding and content in order to get to a place where you can help somebody. And that's exactly it. It's not rocket science at all, Andrew. And then people think it's very, very confusing. And we make it, we simplify it for people who don't have the time to do it. Yeah. And I would, I would just highlight to all the listeners out there that, you know, I'm pretty convinced that all of us could benefit from doing some work with you. And I think all you got to do is go to LinkedIn, send Chris an email, tell him that you heard about him on this podcast. He'll send you some stuff that will tell you a little bit about what he does. But what I like about the whole content space is that, you know, when you create a unique selling proposition, a unique aspect of yourself, and you try to focus in on that and you use that as a tool, it helps break through. And I think that that's the word you use was icebreaker. So yeah. I think that's, it's as opposed to, there's other people out there that just say, you know, do a machine gun approach and just dump a lot of, you know, post out there and a lot of all that. This is something that I think really has lasting value because it gets people to remember who you are. So very valuable, very valuable. Without a shadow of doubt, because I mean, for example, you, Andrew, in financial services, I'm in marketing. There are other people doing financial services, other people doing marketing. So how do we stand out? We all need that icebreaker. We all need that point. Why should someone choose us to start the conversation? And all we're asking for here is how do you start the conversation? The rest of it's down to you and your service, but get your foot in the door, start the conversation, and then you can go for it. I just came up with a flash, Chris. I could introduce <laughs> myself. My name's Andrew Stotts, and I'm the worst podcast host. <laughs> My worst investment ever, in That's fact. That's brilliant. <laughs> it's a bit like if we heard of Mike Winnett. No. 
So Mike Winnett, you'll appreciate this being a kind of American, but I mean, obviously a previous English person. Mike Winnett is the UK's number one demotivational speaker. He will actually demotivate you. And it's brilliant. You go, huh? What do you mean you'll demotivate me? But his whole thing is about the fact you won't become a millionaire. You won't be basically rock the world. You're basically get through life. And he's very practical and down to earth and cynical and funny. He finds himself on LinkedIn, the number one UK, number one demotivational speaker. Brilliant. Chris, you know, my cheeks are hurting from smiling when I listen to you talk. So I totally appreciate that. And I know our audience is, is getting a lot of value. And I think really now it's time to get into that worst investment ever story. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. So I would say like my worst investment ever was actually believing my own hype and believing that if I created black marketing, I could create a series of other brands that would also be successful. So I created black marketing eight years ago in Singapore. I sold it within a couple of years and that wasn't successful, but it didn't cost me anything to do that because someone paid me money for it. What did cost me money was I then believing my own hype created another company that was linked to LinkedIn that was doing PR called the dark art of marketing. And I basically employed people and invested that, created office space, branding, marketing, websites, the whole thing. And for the first couple of years, it worked to a degree, but then it didn't. So basically, I then created another company um, called uh, Rockstar Personal, Rockstar for, very much aimed at women, Rockstar for women, basically. So by Rockstar Keynote Speaker, which is basically aimed at basically bringing women to the fore, because there aren't enough women keynote speakers, as you know, but what I underestimated was, one, um, no one would pay me to actually help them do that. Mm. And two, basically, I employed the wrong people to actually go and do it around the marketing to it. So I completely underestimated. I just thought I could walk into that industry, the public speaking industry. I'm a public speaker. I thought, well, I could do it. I could do it for other people, surely. They'll pay me. And they won't, one, they won't pay you anything. Because public speakers are very stingy. They'll pay you a commission and nothing else. Even if you go do their marketing and their LinkedIn marketing. And two, basically, if you don't have the right people with the right contacts, it doesn't actually matter how great your brand is. So these two very good examples are basically where I thought I could leverage my LinkedIn business. But these were still LinkedIn businesses. They were just basically going beyond that comfort zone. But then PR in the UK, it's, you know, PR's PR. But it's not. And PR's changed dramatically from when I grew up in the, the 90s and I worked at the Times and magazine companies and radio stations because there was no websites, there was no internet, there was no social media. Mm. Our newspapers here in Asia, for example, are very, very picky about what they feature and how they feature. So it's very, very hard to get someone to be featured in there. And also, there's not a lot of power in it because the newspapers here aren't very powerful anyway, whether in Thailand or in Singapore or in Hong Kong. It's all about social media. And of course, social media, anyone can go on social media. Hence, you go back to LinkedIn. And the public speaker one is exactly the same. So I wasted a lot of money, literally, you talk about hundreds of thousands of dollars on both these ventures. The dark art at least made money for the first couple of years, but then I closed it down. The public speaker one, the Rockstar public speaker, I knew within three months I made a massive mistake and I closed it down after, I think, six months. And I reverted back to my core brands. So my core brands are very much black marketing, which we go for eight years, which is my most successful business, and my masterclass brand. And of course, masterclass brand at the moment you know, is only online. As you and I both know, we can't travel. And mm. I, the real thing, I don't think I love that. I could travel across the world, whether it was Zurich or London or Hamburg or Geneva um, or San Francisco or New York or Hong Kong or Sydney and do a talk and then meet 50 other entrepreneurs in the same journey 
and effectively applying paying me to go and meet potential clients. Mm. Not with face, not with a fantastic way of actually working. So those are the two brands I've had left. So I've created eight brands in Singapore and only two of them now remain. So my most expensive mistake, my worst investment by, you know, by a million miles or a million dollars in this case, was actually creating brands linked to LinkedIn away from my core business, employing the wrong people and believing the hype that I was some kind of entrepreneurial genius when really I just need to focus on my core business. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs make the same mistake. We're not all Elon Musk. Yep. We're not all just going to create SpaceX and Tesla because we did PayPal. That's unique. Nine times out of 10, that does not happen. And I'm curious about kind of when was the defining moment for you when you realized that this wasn't going to work and you had to fold it up or you had to take another direction? Basically, when we had so many customer complaints from people going, you're not delivering on what you're saying. You're saying you're doing this PR. Where's my PR? And I'm going to my team going, they're right. Where's the bloody PR? Where's the bloody PR? Oh, we can't get it in here. We can't get it in here. No, well, hang on a minute. You should be able to do that. And then the Rockstar keynote speaker one as well. Literally, we're getting so many customer complaints. They weren't paying us for all commission. We weren't getting the deals coming in. And we clearly employed the wrong people to actually go and do it. And we didn't understand the market. So basically, with that one, I knew quicker that basically I had to cut it off and cut it short. So I'd become a lot better actually cutting things down. You know, fast, you know, fail fast is a good thing to actually learn. And it's not something you actually do in Asia a lot, which obviously mm. you will know about this, Andrew. Yeah. Fail fast here doesn't really exist because it's a, it's a losing a face here. You can't fail yeah. fast. You've got to keep on going and pretend everything's okay. And it's like when I first came here, I went, why? It's like, it's not working. Just close it down, close it down. So I don't mind. I'm from Newcastle in the UK. I, I, don't, I don't care about failing and mm. basically shutting things down because I know I'm successful. I've been a successful entrepreneur five times. I'm black space successful. And I'm a mass class very successful. I've exited four businesses in the UK and Asia. So I know I can do it time and time again, but it doesn't always work out. And I think knowing when you cut it is absolutely key. Otherwise, it's just a black hole of money. Yeah. And what you mentioned also, you know, having now interviewed more than 200 people, you realize that the stigma of failure is, you know, different in different countries. You know, in America, yeah. you could fail over and over again and become yes. president of the <laughs> But in some countries like Italy and other places, you know, the stigma that they put on failing in business is very high. Yeah. So let's say, you know, yeah. let, let me ask you, what lessons did you learn? If you were to list them out, what would they be? I think that the lessons would be, you know, double check every single thing you do, bounce it off, you know, 10 entrepreneurs before you start it. The problem with me is like, I, I listen to my instinct a lot and then half my instinctive decisions are terrible and half of them are right. And the trouble is I don't know which ones are right. So basically by bouncing it off the right people, other people, people going, it'll never work in a million years. And if you have 10 people saying that who are entrepreneurs, you basically basically, okay, fine, okay, I'm in the minority here. I need to not do that. The trouble with entrepreneurs is they do tend to believe their own hype. So they do tend to just go and ho into something because they got, especially if they're a founder like I am and like you are, and not a co-founder. Mm. I know you have a co-founder in your coffee business, but I'm only a founder. I couldn't work with anybody else. And the upside of that is I make my own decisions. The downside of that, I have no one to bounce things off. So when I basically screw up, as in these two cases, I really screw up. And I basically, I cost me the money and not anybody else. That's the good thing about that is basically my decision is my fault. I lost the money. I move on. I learn the lesson. And I go back to my basics, my fundamentals. And it's like, it really is, I think, listening to other people and using, like we talked about this before, about having a business mentor. 
Yep. Or having somebody to say, look, do you think it's a good idea to go in this direction because we've had success with this? Is there an angle here we can use? And so it's basically, I think that is talking to people, which entrepreneurs are notoriously bad at, is actually a kind of key lesson from this. And being, I hate to say it as an entrepreneur, but being more cautious. I'm a risk taker. You're a risk taker, Andrew. Mm, mm. You know, we both, you know, travel the, travel the world. You live in Thailand from America. I live in Singapore from UK, we become citizens of our countries. You know, that's enormous risk. That's more risk than most people will ever take from our respective conservative countries. You know, the UK is just as conservative as America is in terms of traveling and sending abroad. Mm. So that's a massive risk. And once you've done that, you open up into a whole new world of risk. And you think basically we'll just take a risk and after risk after risk. So if you do that, some of these risks will not work. As you know, you're smiling ruefully there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Well, yeah, I mean, the point that you make, I mean, when I was 25, 26 years old, I jumped on an airplane and moved to Thailand. I sold everything I owned in America and I decided, oh, why don't I try living in Thailand for three to five years and see how it goes? You know, that was way beyond, as my, my father used to say, I live vicariously through my son. <laughs> so let me, uh, let me summarize a couple of things that I take away from it. I want to tell a story, Chris, about how it took me a long time in the world of finance to become the number one analyst. It was my goal from the beginning, and it took me many years. And eventually, I became number one ranked analyst in Thailand, and I had a number one team as a head of research running that team. And basically, I was pretty excited about it. And then I had gotten an offer to work at another company. I went to work at another company that didn't have the brand power that yeah. my current company that I was voted number one had. But I felt pretty confident about my skills. And yeah. I think, you know, my skills are pretty good in the area of finance. And when I saw the, the next year, there was a ranking, the same ranking. And instead of being number one, I was number 20. Ah. Now, I was number 20 because also there's some other elements like you've got to build up time at your new place and clients yeah. need to get to know you. So, you know, you could have said it, if you adjusted for something like that, it would have meant a fall from one to 10 maybe. Yeah. But then, you know, you realize first thing is when you're number one, you feel really confident. But when you actually go away, you realize that there's two aspects that are much more important than what you realize. Number one, brand. Yeah. So the brand that I worked for was a very powerful brand. And with a powerful brand, you have a powerful platform. Yeah. You could be saying the same thing on a low platform versus a high platform, and your voice will carry much further on a high platform. The second thing is the concept of distribution. I didn't realize the power of the distribution network of that brand. I mean, what made it so great was that when someone speaks within that brand, that message goes out to their clients very clearly and very powerfully. Yeah. Whereas the other brand really didn't have the, the power of the distribution channel of your message. And those things, you know, really made me realize that it's, it's more than just a great idea and hard work and really yeah. awesome. And then I think the other thing that I just think that, that you remind me of is to go back to the fundamentals. Yeah. And that's something that you mentioned, you know, go back to where you add the most value yeah. and refocus on that and build on that. And so yeah. I think that's the lessons that I would take. Anything you'd add to that? I know. I think they're absolutely spot on. It's basically, it's learning and being more conservative and being more calculating, I think, with the risk and actually kind of weighing up the pros and cons. And the branding is, I think, a very good lesson. I, I learned that in the UK when I worked at the Times. And the Times is a world-famous newspaper. Literally, I could pick up any brand and I could walk in the door because I was the Times. 
And there's like, as, as soon as you leave the times, you realize that basically it's not you, it's the times. And so basically it's all about branding. As a marketeer, I kind of knew that if I went from the times, I had to go somewhere else, which was equally powerful. Otherwise I wasn't going to get in the door because it wasn't the fact it was magical Chris Reed going in the door, it was the times. Everyone's buying into the times. And the branding is like, and that's applied to personal branding as well, Andrew. You know, you can get in the door because you're Andrew. I can get in the door because I'm Chris. Mm. About building it up, it doesn't happen overnight. And the thing is that you know, I expected these things to work overnight, and I didn't have the financial resource to last for several years to see if they would. Like, you know, we hear these days people like WeWork and, and companies, you know, Canva, you know, losing billions of dollars, but also being valued at billions and billions of dollars. You know, Tesla's where you know, the most expensive car company in the world, and it hasn't made a single profit. You, know, you and I can never do that because we couldn't raise that kind of money for what we do different industry so it's basically we have to be much more conservative and calculating in terms of what can we risk what can we lose yeah. that comes back to you know lots of lessons that appear on these podcasts in terms of business lessons in terms of how do you manage your finances make sure you can launch businesses but also what happens if it all goes wrong you can't be left with nothing yeah well people oftentimes think that entrepreneurs are risk takers and i would say entrepreneurs are the ultimate risk managers because you know <laughs> you've got to you're allocating very very scarce resources so yes I, especially now I, I totally agree with it especially now yep so based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate i would say do a, a better analysis of the markets you know ask people experts in that market and don't be frightened of going asking people who are competitors you know i didn't ask i know lots of people in that in, in both those industries and i didn't bother asking them you know, I just thought I could go in there and do it because I've been successful with a couple of businesses in, in Asia. And you basically get to this master of the universe kind of uh, mentality. Oh, I'm great at this. I can do this as well. And actually, if I'd bothered to actually go into these markets and say, how difficult is this? They would have said, don't set up. Don't do it. And they wouldn't have said it for because they were frightened of competition because they would know I would be no competition at all. They would be doing it because they know that it was very hard work and they'd be doing it for 25 years. There's not some upstart's going to come along and do it in five minutes. just not going to work. It takes time. It takes energy. So I'd say go and talk to people who are experts in that area and then decide. And then literally mm. look at how much money you can lose on the venture and be prepared to lose it all. And then think, is it worth it? Got it. All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? It's to basically focus on black marketing. I mean, like, you know, going back to those fundamentals, we've really kind of, you know, since the pandemic, we've actually been very, very lucky because I've been in the process of actually streamlining the business. And we've been doing it before the pandemic. So we've been outsourcing more, for example. So we were prepared for what happened here. We've been reducing our offices in Singapore, for example, and reducing our headcount here because we're truly a global company. So we don't actually need to have a lot of manpower in Singapore. We can actually be in various locations around the world and do the servicing. So I think getting more value for money with experts around the world rather than employing people for the same amount or more here or in different countries who weren't experts and fundamentally looking at how we can help people, entrepreneurs with the pandemic and how we can help people actually see as an opportunity. We're actually seeing a pickup of clients in the cloud area, the tech area, the content area, the areas where people are actually now on a online like this is and on LinkedIn, but people now need more cloud services and tech services than ever before. And they're not just going to be in your country. So basically, you know, we go around the world doing that. And we do that for the clients. We get your clients in different countries across the world because you can, because it's LinkedIn. So I think that's the next plan for the next 12 months is really kind of knuckle down, focus on the costs, focus on the risk. As you said, focus on the revenue. Uh, go, through, go around your rear. Mm. <laughs> focus on that. The next 12 months around black marketing. Because I don't expect to be doing any masterclasses. 
in different countries for the next kind of 12 months. So it's all about focusing on black marketing and what black marketing can offer entrepreneurs across the world. Fantastic. All right, listeners. There you have it, another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Mr. Mohawk, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. And also, I want to congratulate you for being one of the brave ones. I say brave ones because most people say no, Andrew, I would prefer to talk about my winners. But you <laughs> have turned your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Go for it. Don't be frightened to go for it as an entrepreneur. Go for your, go for your personal branding. Go for your LinkedIn. Don't underestimate it. Do it for free. 95% of people can do it for free. If you don't have time, turn to us. Find me on LinkedIn with the Mohawk. Ladies and gentlemen, go to LinkedIn. Type in Mohawk and just tell him you heard him on this podcast and he'll take it from there. There's so much you can learn. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help you create, grow, and most importantly, protect your wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host saying, I'll see you on the upside.